Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Happy Wednesday and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk radio show. Here's a quick announcement. Our June Heart-Centered and Passion-Driven Inspirations for a Better Living digital magazine designed to help moms build a better future for themselves, their families, and loved ones is currently available at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. This month's theme is Happy Graduation, Smiling Our Way Through Summer, and a special Father's Day tribute. The magazine offers inspirational stories from our dedicated team of experts to help you navigate your current situation with confidence in your motherhood journey as the COO, if not the CEO of your family. So please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com to treat yourself to some engaging, entertaining, and enlightening stories. You deserve it. As for our radio show today, my guest for this morning is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be having a conversation about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Your 10 Keys to Happiness, 101 real-life stories that will show you how to improve your life. Good morning, Amy. Happy summer and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? Oh, well, good morning. Thanks for having me on. And I'm super excited about this book, which came out yesterday, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be a bestseller. Fantastic. It is wonderful to have you with me, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Your 10 Keys to Happiness is an extremely inspiring read. The stories are powerful and entertaining. That's the beauty of it. It's perfect to kick off the summer season. So congratulations on this release. Well, thanks. You know, I think that everybody's looking for a fresh start right now. I know it's the middle of the year, but Mm -hmm. somehow with the way the pandemic has gone and the way people are feeling a little more like they can go out and they can do things and sometimes wear masks, but sometimes don't have to. And I think that it's really like a fresh start. And uh, I think with fresh starts come a little bit of introspection, a little bit of resolution making. And so I thought it would be the perfect time to put out a book with a bunch of really easy to implement ideas about how you can increase your own level of happiness because everyone mm-hmm. always wants to get happier. Even if you are already happier, you <laughs> want to become even happier than that, right? I mean, <laughs> happiness is everybody's ultimate goal in life. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, the interesting thing is because I've read tens of thousands of personal stories from people, all the ones we've published in Chicken Soup for the Soul books and then a lot of stories that we haven't published, but I've still been lucky enough to read. I've Mm -hmm. really gotten some insight into what makes people tick. And I've been exposed to so many great ideas and advice and tips for how people have improved their own lives. And so what I did with this book, which represents, you know, 14 years of my experience at Chicken Soup Mm -hmm. Soul, is, is I've kind of synthesized, Everything that I've learned about how to pursue happiness, I've synthesized it into this one collection, and I've, I've been able to categorize it into 10 keys to happiness. And what's really cool is that you don't have to do all 10. If mm-hmm. you just do one of the 10, it will make a really big difference in your life. Very, very interesting. That's really wonderful. Well, How do you define happiness for yourself? For me, happiness is contentment, you know, being content with where I am. And I feel like I'm a happy person. And that's despite the fact that I have an incurable cancer. And yet I still find that I am a happy, content person who finds many, many opportunities every day to feel joy in my life. So I feel like if I can do it, anybody can do it. And I credit Chicken Soup for the Soul with my ability to be happy despite Mm -hmm. my personal challenge. And I really think that I wouldn't be like this if I hadn't been working on these books and been privy to all of these keys to happiness. But Everything that's in this book is stuff that I do in my personal life, and so I know that it works. 
Wow, that's amazing. That's really wonderful, though, because you just answered my third question I was going to ask. Is like, can anyone attain happiness? Yeah, we all have the tools to attain happiness. And what I've done in your 10 Keys to Happiness is I have included some keys to happiness that you can implement in literally one second just by tweaking your perspective or your attitude. And then Mm -hmm. others are things that will take a little bit longer, but maybe only a few days to implement. So they're really, these are really easy to implement fast acting keys to happiness, which I think are great. But the reason that they work so well is because they make sense for human beings. Everything in this book will make sense to the readers. They'll be able to see themselves implementing every one of these 10 keys to happiness if they would like to. Very, very interesting. How can someone make positive thinking a lifestyle? Because you have mentioned the fact that over the years you've been fortunate and it's interesting because sometimes like say what we do in life, uh, professional life sort of permeates into our personal life and it goes both ways obviously. But positive thinking, the power of positive thinking into a lifestyle. There's a lot of little tricks that you can use to just basically put yourself in a positive frame of mind every day no matter what's happening. Mm-hmm. And one of the little tricks is to make sure that you count your blessings every day because if you pay attention to all the good things in your life instead of focusing on what you perceive as a lack in your life, uh, that really helps. And that can be as simple as writing down three good things a day that happen to you. And it just changes your attitude for the whole day. Another little trick that you can do, and I do this all the time. I mean, I, I did it this morning. I forget what I was talking about with somebody, but I did it. Um, no matter what comes along, be mindful of the fact that there is always a silver lining. Mm-hmm. So if, if a challenge comes your way during the day, a disappointment, some kind of obstacle, immediately think, well, I know there's a silver lining in there somewhere. I'll either think of it right now or it will come along in due time, but it will show up. And that really helps. And then another way to make positive thinking just a natural part of your lifestyle is to be mindful of the fact that things that happen to you are not necessarily directed at you. Mm -hmm. It's not all about you. You If a bad thing happens, a traffic jam, it's not being done to you. It's happening to hundreds or thousands of people who are in the same traffic jam that you're in. And that's just one of those things that happens. And if you don't take things personally and feel Mm -hmm. somehow persecuted, uh, it really helps you to have a more positive attitude no matter what's happening in your day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So true. So true. What brought about the idea for the extremely engaging book cover? I love it. Oh, yeah. So we have this uh, cute little boy who's dressed up like, I don't know, he's probably like a medical professor or something because he's wearing a white coat like a doctor would wear. (laughs) Um, But the the reason I did this is because I I wanted to have, you know, some kind of person on the cover. But Mm -hmm. when we have adults, then we're told, well, not everybody will relate to that adult or you need to have people of all different ethnicities on your cover. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I don't have a clear iconic image on my cover. <laughs> and I really like to have a striking image. And this is just really, you know, looking inside from a business point of view, how does right. a publisher pick a book cover? But I have to create book covers that will pull somebody in from say 10 feet away. And when mm-hmm. I'm working with our graphic designer, I always stand 10 feet away from his computer screen. Oh, interesting. Because I want to see if the cover is compelling enough to be, you know, to look good from 10 feet away. Because I need it to pull somebody over, you know, to the book section at Walmart, and then they pick up the book, (laughs) and then they turn it over, and they read my marketing language on the back cover that explains what's in the book. But Mm -hmm. I've got to get them to come over and pick up the book. So every cover 
it's designed to have that kind of curb appeal and bring mm-hmm. somebody closer so they'll pick up the book and pay attention to it. Very interesting. Never thought about that, but that's really cool. And what I like about that, I might add, on the back side, there is a beautiful picture, and perhaps you can tell us about that as well, the beautiful rainbow. And that became the basically the various uh, chapters, the uh, dividing photos or uh, introduction photos, so to speak. Yeah, I wanted something really hopeful, and rainbows have so much significance in people's lives because mm-hmm. rainbows always come after a storm. And so a rainbow symbolizes hope, right? That mm-hmm. no matter what you're going through, there will be a rainbow. There will be sunlight, and there will be good things happening after you go through a storm slash, you know, obstacle challenge. Right. So I thought that was a really important symbolic image for us to show our readers fascinating really fascinating so what are the 10 keys to happiness covered in the book okay the first one is to count your blessings you know always use the power of gratitude because that makes you more aware of what's good in your life instead of focusing on the negatives Mm -hmm. the second key to happiness to free yourself with forgiveness use the power of forgiveness Put the past in the past. Leave those resentments behind you. Don't carry them with you into your present or even into your future. And the stories in the book explain to you how you can use the power of forgiveness because you might be thinking, well, how am I going to do that? We do explain it, and I know you and I will talk about it in more depth Mm -hmm. later in this hour. The third key to happiness is to go and help someone else, whether through a monetary donation or volunteering your time. So when you make a difference for someone else, it makes you feel empowered, excited, more aware of the blessings in your own life. The fourth key to happiness, I think you're going to like this one. Everybody likes this one. (laughs) Have less stuff. There is so much (laughs) joy to be found. And decluttering your home makes you feel so good. And we can talk about that later. My fifth Mm -hmm. key to happiness is to think positive. And we already alluded to that, but we'll go into that more. But when you change your thoughts, when you change how you present yourself to the world, it really does result in you having better life experiences. The sixth key to happiness, this one allows you to be a little selfish and make yourself a priority. (laughs) Uh, The sixth key is to make me time. Make sure you carve out that time every day or every week to make yourself a priority and do something that you want to do. Seventh key to happiness, and this is one of my favorites because I really try to subscribe to this, make sure that you step outside your comfort zone on a regular basis. Trying new things, even if they're a little scary, is so energizing. You feel proud of yourself. You find you start trying more and more new things, and it really broadens your life. My eighth key to happiness is to be yourself. You know, your own unique superpower is you being you. So never works to try to be someone else. Just embrace who you are and do more of that. My ninth key to happiness is to pursue your passion. Now, some people like you and I, we get to pursue our passions in our jobs. Mm -hmm. But other people might have a nine-to-five job that has nothing to do with their passion. So fine, do your job, get that paycheck, but make sure you have time to pursue your passion built into your life as well. And tenth, and I think this one is extremely important, it's something we can all relate to because of the pandemic, and that's to get outside in nature. And I think everybody was more nature-focused because of the pandemic, because you could go outside safely. You could see people. You know, you could become part of the world again when you went (laughs) outside. And I think getting outside in nature and watching a squirrel, you know, busily conducting its life or the birds conducting their own lives, it just gives you perspective and it makes you realize that your own problems are not the most important thing in the world. You're just one tiny little speck of of a living creature in a Mm -hmm. very large world. So, I think that helps us to become less narcissistic, you know, mm-hmm. and less focused on our own things. <laughs> so true. Very, very true. Well, what's unique and different about this book than any other book that Chicken Sense put out is that 
you guys came up with a very interesting idea. That's what I call like in golf, a layup shot. And so in this particular situation, each chapter has that beautiful pre-chapter narrative. Please tell us a little bit about that. So this came about because this book is really a passion project for me. Um, I felt like this was something I needed to give our readers because here I am having read these tens of thousands of stories and they've helped me so much. And I've got all this valuable information about how you can lead a happier life or help somebody you love lead a happier life. Cause you can use all these tips, you know, on other people who are part of your life. Um, but I, I wanted to synthesize it all into this one volume. And then what I really wanted to do is give our readers a guided tour of what they were going to read. So I basically say in the introduction to the book, I'm going to meet you at the beginning of each chapter. And I mm-hmm. almost feel like a hostess, like, yes. please come to my, please come to my party. <laughs> come, come to my presentation of the 10 keys to happiness. And here, let me explain to you this key to happiness and what you're going to be reading in this chapter, because you basically have 10 stories illustrating each key to happiness. So at the beginning of each chapter, I discuss what you're going to read in this chapter, how this key to happiness works, why it works, how you can implement it, give you a brief look at some of the stories you're going to be reading. So I'm just trying to make this really easy for people, um, make it super easy for them to digest all of this. And the way I got the stories, by the way, is that I went through all of our stories that we've published over all of these years. Mm-hmm. And I picked the ones that I thought provided our readers with the best role models and the best illustrations for how to implement that particular key to happiness. So mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. very carefully thought through. I made the whole book by myself. I didn't have any of our editorial team do it with me. Mm-hmm. I picked all the stories. I wrote, the introduction to the book and then the 10 additional essays in the book, you know, one to introduce each key to happiness. So Mm -hmm. this is a real labor of love for me and kind of like my gift to our readers, um, really trying to hand them, you know, what I've learned. It's Mm -hmm. like a, a legacy. This book is going to be part of my legacy. I think. Mm -hmm. It already is because the book is you. How's that? We've known each other all these years, and interestingly enough, this book sort of encapsulates the Amy I know. How's that? Yeah, (laughs) this book is me. I'm sure if my children read it, they would say that. Not that I'll be able to get them to read it, because they never read my books. But (laughs) maybe just in life, life I could communicate to them some of these things. There you go. They're all very... They're all pretty happy people anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's the old cliche. You know, you're never an expert in your own backyard. <laughs> oh, God, no. I'm just their mother who doesn't know how to use her iPhone properly, you know. <laughs> <There> you <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes and Hop Hopper. I'm Johnny Tant, your host. Here's a quick reminder to treat yourself to the June edition of our heart-centered and passion-driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. My guest for this morning is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We're having a conversation about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Your 10 Keys to Happiness, 101 real-life stories that will show you how to improve your life. Amy, let's talk about some of the stories in the book. We'll start off with Chapter 1, Counting Your Blessings. And I really love this kickoff story, The Happy Book, by Jennifer Koshra. So Jennifer actually um, has become a friend of mine. She lives in our town, where, mm-hmm. where, our, where Chicken Soup for the Soul is headquartered. And she wrote about how she came from a long line of family members who were probably diagnosable, you know, with depression. Mm -hmm. And she just thought that was how it was going to be. And she always had this 
kind of negative, pessimistic view of life. And then when she had children, she thought, I can't continue to be this way. This doesn't make sense. So she had this little date book where, you know, there's just a tiny bit of room for each day and maybe enough room to write one sentence. So she decided that each night before she went to bed, she was going to write down in this date book one thing that had made her happy during the day. And it could have been something like my husband came home from work early or I was running late and I got a parking spot right in front, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. And she started writing these things down each night. So it took her, you know, less than a minute to do this. And she found that it changed her whole attitude during the day because she started looking for the good things so that she would decide which things she was going to write in her date book that night. And she said that very quickly, this turned her from a pessimist into an optimist. And she just wishes that she had done this starting back in her middle school days when she started to be a negative person. And I know her and she's, she's a very positive person. She's actually a life coach now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I thought it was really interesting. And it, it's what we find with gratitude. Practicing gratitude can turn you from a negative person into a positive person. And, you know, half of us are probably born with a natural tendency to see the bright side of things. I know you're like that. Mm -hmm. But then half of people are not born that way. And there are not that many positive traits you can add on to your personality. You're kind of fully baked already once you become an adult. Right. But gratitude is actually something you can add on. And it's so easy to do it because all you have to do is one of these gratitude practices that takes a minute a day. You could write down one thing a day that made you happy like Jennifer did, or you could write down three things a day that you felt thankful for. But some little practice like that every night before you go to bed will really change your attitude. Very true. I really like the story. And the reason for it is because I practice, just before I actually doze off, is thinking of all the things that I was grateful for the day. Simple things. And you'd be surprised because then you go to bed as you doze off, it's in the positive energy, so to speak. Yeah, and you know, if you're somebody who prays every night, you could just put it into your prayer. You could thank God for the good things that mm-hmm. happen during the day. Instead of asking for things, you could be thankful. So there's right. a lot of different ways to incorporate it into your day without it really consuming any more time. That's right. That's right. And it's not, you don't live your entire day like, oh my God, okay, this is good. That's good. No, forget about it. At the end of the day, just quickly summarize like what really sort of that wonderful, well, some people say, "Uh uh-huh, or in this case, that happiness or put a smile on your face kind of thing. I'm glad, gee, (laughs) I got that done. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really, it's really easy to do it. And we have another um, story in that chapter about counting your mm-hmm. blessings. It's called The Gratitude Party, and it's by Alison Craigie. And she did a similar kind of thing, but this was an interesting approach. She actually had been through a lot. First, she had been happy. She got divorced, then she got remarried. And when she got remarried, she said her life was like a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Um, her new husband did really well. And so she lived this life filled with vacations, private schools, household help. Uh, She was madly in love with her new husband. They had a beautifully decorated big home. Everything was perfect. And then everything fell apart. And her husband left her. Her father died. Her mother was dying of cancer. She lost another relative, and her kids were special needs kids, so that was already a struggle. And so just everything went wrong, and she ended up getting divorced, being, having lost all these family members, no money, no anything, and she went through a really tough year with her kids. And then things started to get better again. She got a job finances started to get better. They started coming out from under this cloud of this terrible year. 
And she was talking to her kids one day about how things were getting better. And then they started talking about the different people who had helped them during their bad year. And they decided to have a gratitude party and invite all the people who had helped them during the year. You know, somebody who maybe brought them a dinner or came and helped out at the house or helped them in various different ways. So they had this gratitude party where they explained what each person who was invited to the party had done for them. And they started having a gratitude party every year after that. And it caused them to completely change their focus because all year long they were looking for who were they going to invite to their gratitude party. So it made them hyper aware of all the good things that were being done for them in their lives. So that was another gratitude practice on a very grand scale. Yeah. I mean, that's really wonderful. I read that story too. I love it. It's really, really amazing. And these are the things, it's a mindset in a way, like you were saying, you know, what we're focusing on and so forth. And I love that story. Really, really love that story. Chapter two, this is really cool. Free yourself from with forgiveness. Freeing yourself with forgiveness. And the story is you take him with you by Lynn Sunday. And this is a typical story in the sense that whether you're a man or woman, it applies to you. Yeah, and this whole concept of freeing yourself with forgiveness, everybody seems to say, oh yeah, I need help with that. So I think that this story is such an eye-opener that just reading this one story could change your life. Because Mm -hmm. here's what happened. Lynn had gotten a divorce years earlier. And yet she was still talking about her ex-husband all the time, complaining about him, even to perfect strangers. And finally, her best friend said to her, you might as well still be married to the man. You take him with you wherever you go. And that was an epiphany for Lynn. And she realized, wait a minute, my ex-husband is doing just fine. He's moved forward with his life. I'm not even married to the guy And I'm allowing him to create this cloud under which I live. I've created this prison for myself and locked myself inside it. Why am I thinking about him all the time? Why am I letting his past actions bother me now? That's ridiculous because she was taking her resentments for his past actions and hurts, et cetera, and reliving them every day in her present and taking them with her into her future. The past belongs in the past. So I didn't really understand what the word forgiveness meant until a few years ago when I read some definition of it, which was, it's not, it doesn't mean you're saying that whatever the person did to you is okay. You're not going to the person and saying, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You know, I'm okay. I excuse you for it. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness means that you make a conscious decision which you can do in one second, make mm-hmm. a conscious decision that you're not going to relive the negative emotions that went with that past event. So you can intellectually know that thing happened. It was bad. I was mad, but I'm not going to keep living those emotions. Now I will intellectually know that it happened, but why would you let that person still be in your head, you know, ocup- occupying the space in your mind? So it's a conscious decision to put it behind you. And I like to say lack of forgiveness It's like wearing a heavy cloak. Like imagine you have this cloak over your shoulders and you have sewn onto the cloak little bits of metal, each one representing a past disappointment or hurt or resentment. And this thing is heavy now, right? You're trying to walk forward, but this heavy cloak is pulling you down. What if you shrug off the cloak and you leave all of those heavy things behind you and you walk forward light and free. Uh, what Lynn said was that when she realized that she would just leave her resentments in the past, she said she walked forward feeling absolutely buoyant. So I thought that was a great illustration of how to use the power of forgiveness. Definitely. It is powerful. And I love that story. And that's why I chose that because it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. And in this particular case, uh, divorce situation, right? But it's just a matter of letting the past pass. The present is what's going to tee up for the future. 
Yeah, absolutely. It it um, it's so liberating. It's one of the most important things in the book. So true. Chapter three: Help someone else, and this is very very interesting. Shelter in in the storm. Shelter in the storm by Trudy Nash. Yeah. So this is a good example of how helping someone can really help you. I mean, the fact is that the person who's doing the good deed always feels even better than the person who is the recipient of the kindness. Mm-hmm. So in Trudy's case, her mother had just died. She had just buried her mother three days before. And she was driving around. She had the funeral flowers in her car. Um, the car was absolutely packed with memorabilia from her mother and all these, these flowers And it was pouring rain, and she was stopped at an intersection, and she saw this little family, a husband, a wife, a couple of kids, and they didn't have an umbrella, and they were, the parents were trying to shield the babies from the rain, and everybody was getting wet, completely full, so she couldn't offer this family a ride, but she looked down and she realized that one of the things she had taken from her mother's house was her mother's umbrella. And so she pulled up next to this family and she reached out the window and she handed them her mother's umbrella. And the husband looked so happy and he put the umbrella up over the two children. And Trudy felt like she was helping them, but also she felt like was like an extension of her mother, that she was helping her mother using her mother's umbrella to still be that maternal person who was always helping people. So I just thought that was a really cool story, an example of how a really simple act of kindness can make the donor feel so good. I love the story because just that moment in time also is natural as we grieve. It's about us, right? But then at that moment in time when we are extending, when we're looking through the lens of love, we don't matter anymore from that perspective. It's about the other person and then having the opportunity to extend that love and especially using a mother's umbrella. It's just beautiful. It's that process, the whole sequence. Mom would have done the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was great. I, I noticed that story also because when my mother died, she had a lot of umbrellas. Mm. And I have all of her umbrellas now. And I really like having this collection of umbrellas. <laughs> and it's kind of nice because when you use one of them, it's right. like, you know, your mom is still sheltering you. Yeah, right, right. So true. Well, what story do you like most? I know you talked a little bit about this, about having less stuff. So what story in Chapter 4 do you like most? So I like this story called The Liberation of Liquidation. And John Buentello tells us that he and his wife lived in a you know, nice big house, and this house was packed to the gills with stuff. They had boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff. So they had never been very good about culling their possessions and getting rid of things. And they were just renting the house, and it turned out the people who owned the house decided to sell it. So John and his wife needed to get out, and they decided they weren't ready to go and buy a house Uh, So they decided that while they were figuring out what to do, they were just going to go and live in a one-bedroom apartment. So they had to put a ton of stuff in storage. So they identified all the stuff that was going to go in storage. And then John said, well, wait a minute. If we've decided that the stuff going into storage is stuff we don't need to live with on a daily basis, why are we keeping it at all? We don't even know if we're ever going to live in a big house again. What if we just stay in the one bedroom? Then we're never going to need this stuff. And so all the stuff they had put aside to put in storage, they got rid of. And they moved to their new apartment without putting any stuff in storage. And they just brought what they needed for a much simpler life in a one-bedroom apartment. And he said that their lives became so much better as a result. It was so liberating. I know when when we moved last year, Mm -hmm. we had to – we had to put a lot of our stuff in a pod just to mm-hmm. reduce the amount of stuff that was in our house because you're supposed to, you know, clean up your house before you put it on the market. 
Right. And then a few months a few months later when we were receiving the pod back at our new house, I couldn't even remember what we had put in the pod. You know, and we unpacked the pod and got rid of half the stuff we unpacked. We should have just gotten rid of it in the first place. And we mm-hmm. still keep getting rid of stuff. I mean, we just got rid of more stuff in our closets. And my husband and I gave each other tours of our closets the other day because we were so excited about how much less clothing we have now. And I keep filling up my car with clothing and bringing it to one of those collection bins. You know, if I can't find mm-hmm. a place to put it, I'm just like, oh, it's going in the car. I'm going to throw it in one of those bins. <laughs> it is very liberating to get rid of stuff. I agree totally. I mean, when I moved to Dallas from Baton Rouge, I had a friend that come over that came over and she said she was holding stuff up like, have you used this in the last couple of years? Nope. Okay. She's got a box. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> So it, it was interesting, but you have to have a third party, in my case, to come in and draw the line for me. <laughs> you know what me. works for me? <laughs> yeah. So one one way to get yourself to do it, besides the fact that you're just going to feel better if you have less stuff, but yeah. one thing you can do is look at things and say, I'm not using this. I could donate mm. this. And there will be somebody else who will really get joy from right. it. And right. And I, I have this mental image of this person who's going to get my stuff. Mm-hmm. And it makes me really happy to think about, in my case, it's this woman. And right. she's an immigrant. She has a couple of kids. And she's mm-hmm. working really hard. But she started with nothing. And now she's going to get some of my stuff. And I'm so happy that my stuff <laughs> is going to get used. So that's right. what I do. I just think, am I holding on to something that this person could actually use? And right. then I'm like, yes, I want, I want her to have it. <laughs> you could construct your your sample person who you're giving your stuff to. So true. Very, very true. Chapter five, think positive. And the story I like is Try a Smile by Frida Wolf. So Frida was um, in a really long line at the post office one day, and she was running late to her next appointment. And she was just getting grumpier and grumpier. And she finally got her thing done at the post office, and she kind of, stomped her way back to her car in the parking lot. And then she saw this woman coming toward her who also looked really grumpy and her body was kind of tight and she was stomping her way through the parking lot. And then Frida thought, is that what I look like to everybody? (laughs) And she was kind of shocked. And she smiled at this woman who was stomping towards her and the woman kind of startled, you know, and then like visibly relaxed, you know, and her body became less tight. And then she smiled back at Farida and Farida thought, wow, that was all that it takes. And this is something that I somehow knew to do years ago, because I remember going through a rough time at a particular job. And even though I really didn't even like going to work and I would kind of force myself to walk in the door each day. I would always smile at everybody when I walked in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it causes people to smile back at you, and it can't help but change your day. And it's pretty rare that you smile at somebody and they don't smile back at you. Right. Um, and it's a tool you can use also. Let's say you go to a store and the cashier doesn't look that happy. Maybe he or she had a difficult customer you know, ahead of you in line. If you smile that person, you're going to get a smile back and you're probably going to change their day and you're also going to change how they interact with you. So I feel like that's a really easy tool to use to change the dynamics of your interactions with other people. So that's why I included that in the book. I love it because I tell people smiling sows happiness, plain and simple. And it's about yeah, you, not about like the boomerang. other person. <laughs> right, and a smile is like a boomerang. You know how you throw a boomerang you go. and then it mm-hmm. comes back at you? And it's the same right. thing with a smile. So true, so true. And do you have a story in Chapter 5 that you like? Yeah, because I, I sometimes think that I almost could have called this chapter um, like Think Confident instead of Think Positive mm-hmm. because I think that 
Confidence is a big part of positive thinking. So there's a great story by Lori Davies. And this is one of those pieces of advice that I think is life-changing. And it's just so simple to follow this advice. So this happened to Lori when she was a little girl in elementary school. And she didn't want to go out to recess. She didn't feel that she could play with the other kids. She felt that she was being rejected, et cetera. And this fifth grade teacher saw her avoiding recess and gave her this piece of advice. Walk out onto that playground like it's yours. So Lori walked out onto that playground like it was hers, and her interaction with the other children completely changed, and she started having a great time at recess, and she started using this advice in every part of her life including as an adult. And it makes so much sense to me. Walk into that meeting like it's yours. You know, walk into that store like it's yours. Walk onto that airplane like it's yours. Whatever you're doing, walk in with that air of confidence. And people will interact with you differently. And you'll, you'll interact with people differently because you have this new attitude. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a great story and had to be included in the book. It's wonderful. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Chapter six, make me time. And I love this one particular story because it reminds me so much about the things that I went through. In some, kind of growing up, you go through certain things, and this is funny to me. Uh, this particular story is Burn It by Jana Richardson. Yeah, so... Um... Jaina did something that a lot of us do. She saved special things for special occasions. So her story opens with her friend saying to her, why don't you just burn the stupid candle? So she and her friend were both 13 years old, and her friend was looking at this really nice candle that Jaina had been given which she wasn't going to burn and she wasn't going to smell the lovely scent because she was saving it for some special occasion. And she said to her friend, well, if I burn my candle collection, then it won't have a collection anymore. And her friend said, but it's a candle. It's meant to be burned. I bet it's really pretty. And so years afterward, Jaina was cleaning out her old room And she found that candle collection that had been too precious to burn. (laughs) And she realized how stupid that was because she never got the pleasure from those candles because she was always saving them for some other time. And it's something that I've tried to use in my own life, like use the nice soap that's in the guest room. Mm -hmm. You know, you know how you have the guest bath and you might have like the more expensive liquid soap in there. And then you go into your own guest bathroom and you won't touch the nice soap because it's for the guests. <laughs> like treat yourself as well as you would treat a guest, you know, use mm-hmm. the nice soap, right? Use the nice china, burn the nice scented candle, but do these things for yourself. So I try to follow that rule. Use the nice stuff, treat yourself <laughs> as well as you would treat a guest. I chose that service because it reminded me like, I would go to the store and buy some real nice clothes. And partly because my mom was trying to teach me something, but in a way it went overboard. It's like, okay, you just bought this, okay? Don't wear this shirt. Save it for that big, nice occasion. Well, guess what? (laughs) What big, nice occasion? It never comes. And the beautiful shirt still sits in the closet, you know? (laughs) Exactly. Wear the shirt. Absolutely. Do you have a story you like in this chapter? Um, There's an interesting story about a very busy single mother who needed to carve out some me time for herself, but she didn't even want her kids to necessarily know what was going on. But what she did was she went out and she told her kids that she was having dinner with her friend Kay. And her kids were so self-involved that they didn't even realize her middle name was Kay. And what she actually was doing was periodically she would go to the mall 
and she would go window shopping, and then she would have dinner by herself in the food court, and that was her dinner with Kay. She was carving out that special me time for herself, and she says she came up with this idea because she had been taking care of everyone else for so long that she'd forgotten to take care of herself. I thought that was a great message for all of those busy people who are always sacrificing for everybody else. <laughs> it's okay to carve out that me time for yourself. So true. So true. Well, the next chapter is chapter seven. And you mentioned a little bit about stepping outside your comfort zone. And as I was reading this chapter, I found a story which is really kind of really, really cool. Some blonde, nice looking lady ran off the cliff. Do you want to tell me about that story? (laughs) (laughs) That was a blonde lady who wasn't paying attention to what words actually mean. So, so I had made this resolution that I would, you know, try as many new things as possible and, and even do things that were a little bit scary. Uh, And the only thing I wouldn't do, and this is just my thing, but I'm not jumping out of an airplane. Because mm-hmm. my attitude was, I just worry that the parachute would somehow get all tangled up with all those millions of lines coming out of it, and, and it just wouldn't work. So, so that was where I drew the line, but I would try everything else. And so my husband and I went to Oman on vacation. Oman is a, mm-hmm. a very beautiful country on the Persian Gulf. And a lot of people go there on vacation, even though that sounds like a strange thing to do. You're going on vacation to a beach on the Persian Gulf. Yes, yes, you are. And we uh, could see the oil tankers lined up, you know, in the distance. You could see Iran on the other side of the Gulf. But uh, we went there, and we were told that the really cool guests uh, went into the resort by paragliding in. So the thing is that to get to this resort, which was down on the beach, you had to go down this, yeah, you started at the top of this thousand foot like plateau and then you either took this winding, scary road down to the resort or you could paraglide down to the resort. So I signed us up to paraglide in because in my mind that was something like a hang glider, you know, right. six wings and that that sounded like aerodynamically that could work. But I was really not paying attention to the words because I was horrified when I'm standing at the top of the cliff and the guy is belting me into this harness thing. And I look behind me and there's a parachute lying on the ground with a million strings coming out of it. And then I thought, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. I'm supposed to be a writer and an editor in chief. And it never occurred to me that paragliding involved a parachute. So, the good thing is that you run off the cliff, like attached to this guy who's done it a lot of times. Right. So I basically was attached to this guy because then they said to me, it only works if you run off the cliff. You can't like get to the edge of the cliff, make sure the parachute is working and then jump <laughs> up. You have to run off the cliff in order to fill the parachute with air. So it's like a matter of faith. Right. You're running off the cliff before the parachute has completely filled with air. But I had this big hulky guy that I was now attached to. So basically, I was like a cartoon character. He's running. My legs are running in the air because I'm short. <laughs> so I don't even know if my legs were on the ground anymore. I'm running in the air. He's running on the ground. And off we go. And I didn't die. So um, that's it. But now, basically, when anything scary comes along, I say, well, I ran off that cliff in Oman, so I can do this other scary thing. <laughs> it's really wonderful. I, when I read that, I said, oh, okay, I got to pick on her on this one. <laughs> I know. Why do I think paragliding didn't involve a parachute? What is wrong with me? <laughs> so true, so true. Is there a story in this chapter that you like? Yeah, I think that um, one of the writers who inspired me mm-hmm. was Victoria Otto Francesi. And when she turned 50, she resolved to do something new every single day. So for a year, she was going to do something new every day. And it could have been something like try a food she had never tried. Mm-hmm. Or it could have been something like do a, what is that called, Sudoku? 
do a Sudoku mm-hmm. puzzle because she had never done that before. But she did something new every single day for a year, and it was fabulous for her. I mean, she really enjoyed it. She discovered there were an endless number of new things for her to try, and um, it just really energized her and made her excited about her new life as somebody over 50. And I, I thought that was a great idea, trying something new every day. And some people do variations on that, that like they turn 50 and they decide they're going to do 50 new things over the next year, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but they have different strategies. But doing new things, they always report, was just so empowering for them and really life-changing. Very, very interesting. No, that's true. Very, very true. Chapter 8 is another powerful chapter. I love this. Be yourself. And the story that I really like in this one is Have Fun, Be Silly, Dance Crazy, and You Know Me About Dancing by Tanya Abari. Yeah, so Tanya is um, a large-sized woman, and for a long time she thought, well, because I'm a large-sized woman, I shouldn't be kind of front and center. And she would join a gym, and then she would quit the gym because she was, like, overly sensitive about her size. But she really loved Zumba. So she finally started taking Zumba, and then the instructor wasn't available one day. And Tanya taught the class instead, and she was great at it. And then she became an official Zumba instructor, and so this is about her embracing herself and dancing, you know, with wild abandon in front of the class and not letting her sides hold her back anymore. And we actually have a video of her leading her class, and she's a fabulous Zumba instructor. That's beautiful. Totally, totally beautiful. And it's just being within your own self and what I talk about expanding our comfort zone, just our bubble of quiet confidence, so to speak, and just being us, so to speak. Do you have a story that you like in this particular chapter as well? Yeah. Another one along the same lines is called a flowering mm-hmm. and it's by Maxine Young. So Maxine also was a larger size woman and her whole life she had been told, Oh, you need to wear black so that you look smaller And that wasn't her personality. And finally, she embraced who she was, and she started wearing bright, colorful prints, floral prints. She started dressing happily, you know, to go go along with her happy attitude towards life. And that completely changed her life. And she looked way better in bright, colorful, happy clothing than she had ever looked in all that black clothing. Right, right. Wow, that's true. Don't let others dictate how you should look and live your life, basically, in a nutshell. Be who you want to be, and this is interesting. You know, this is America. <laughs> be independent. Do your thing. You know who who else did that? In Chapter 9, which is about pursue your passion, mm-hmm. we have this guy, Martin Walters, who wrote a story, and this is a good example of somebody embracing who they want to be instead of what society's expectations are. So, um, so he had been in banking for his whole career, Mm -hmm. you know, so he had a successful job, you know, in, in banking, but he was never happy about it. And finally his job moved and his company offered to move him. And he said, I don't want to move. So he was going to be able to leave that job that had never made him happy anyway. And his wife said to him, you know, the only job you've ever talked about that you really loved was when you were, you know, a young man and you worked at a grocery store in the produce section. And Martin said, that's true. That's the only job I ever really loved. So this former banker discovered there was a new grocery store opening up in his area. And he went and applied there for a job and became the produce manager at a grocery store instead of going and getting another, you know, highfalutin job Mm -hmm. as a banker. Isn't that cool? He really pursued his passion and embraced what he wanted to do and stepped aside from, you know, what society's expectations would be. 
Oh, that's just beautiful. I have a friend that who was an attorney that went through the process. Of course, you know, she's, I mean, retirement is in the eye of the beholder, right? <laughs> but anyway, make a long story short, she's uh, one of the, uh, she's the head of the uh, uh, Helping Healthy at Nature's Grocery Store now because that's what she loves doing, helping people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we know, we, we get stories all the time from people who were lawyers and then switched to being teachers or mm-hmm. all different other professions. Yeah, I totally agree. In fact, I'm married to a former lawyer, and my father is a former lawyer. A lot of people uh, <laughs> gave up the law pretty early. <laughs> chapter 10, final chapter, get outside in nature. And this is a beautiful story. Sharing Yoku is good for you by J.C. Sullivan. Yeah, so there's this Japanese phrase, shinrin-yoku, which I think loosely translates as forest bathing. And it's a whole philosophy um, about, and it's scientifically based, about how good it is for us physically and mentally to get outside in nature and be surrounded by trees. In fact, the science says that even looking at trees from your office window is good for you. Mm-hmm. There's something about trees that's very beneficial to human beings. And so JC lived in LA in an area with really great hiking trails, the best hiking in the LA area. And she never used any of the trails and they were walking distance from her place. And then a friend of hers said, you have to go use these trails and basically shamed her into it. <laughs> so JC went and hiked and then she realized how much it was changing her life. And she ended up going for a hike every single day and turning a lot of her other friends onto these hiking trails. And I think that it's something we all became more aware of during the pandemic, just how good it makes us feel to go outside. You know, you're moving your body freely Mm -hmm. when you're outside versus in a gym. And you're gaining all of that perspective from being part of that larger world of nature. Um, There's so much science behind how it's good for you. I, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I bet that a lot of therapists prescribe getting outside in nature to their clients. So true. It's a beautiful story, and it's so true because I experienced that myself when I was living right by White Rock Lake, and I would go out, and this is a combination of my me time, so to speak, and I'll go walk around the lake, and it's a nine-mile walk, and I enjoyed it. Three hours, two and two and a half hours, three hours. It was enjoyable. My own zone, so to speak. So it's really, really beautiful. What is coming up next for Chicken Soup? So our next book after this one is coming out in August. So you have plenty of time to read this one before the next <laughs> one. Um, and the one coming out in August is called Attitude of Gratitude. And it's actually... Um, really an expansion mm-hmm. of chapter one of your 10 keys to happiness because chapter one is about count your blessings. So mm-hmm. we just think it's so important. We're doing a whole book on the topic of gratitude and how it can improve mm-hmm. your life. Right. Right. So true. What wonderful recipes would you like to share with our listeners this morning? Oh boy. I, I mean, I think my recipe for living is incorporated in these 10 keys to happiness. <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. I think I, I think that the thing I left out was, like, you should always have hope. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. that that really matters a lot because hope is what contributes a lot to having this positive attitude. And so I think that people should realize that you're allowed to have hope. It's not unrealistic to have hope. Building hope into your day, building hope in when you are facing challenges is always okay. It's not delusional to have hope. It's actually realistic because the fact is that there are silver linings. There are lots of good things in your life, even when you're going through bad things. So hope, I think, is a very valuable and reasonable thing to cling to. That's true. Very, very true. Amy, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me. I'm from my mama's kitchen talk radio to all our listeners. Please join me next Wednesday morning, June 15th. My guest will be Susan Shumsky. Susan is an award-winning and best-selling author, a new thought 
minister and doctor of divinity, and the founder of Divine Revelations, a unique field-proven technology for contact for contacting the divine presence, hearing and testing the inner voice, and receiving clear divine guidance. Susan has practiced self-development disciplines for over 40 years. For 22 years, she lived in the Himalayas, Swiss Alps, and other secluded areas under the guidance and as the personal staff of enlightened master Maharishi Maharishi Yogi, the founder of Transcendental Meditation and guru of the Beatles and Deepak Chopra. Susan and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her latest book, Prosperity Meditations, Everyday Practices to Create an Abundant Life. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. As always, Amy, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you so much and have a very blessed day. Thanks for having me, Johnny. Take care. Bye-bye. Something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details.